Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, we discuss it, we talk about it and we talk about some of the themes and ideas it throws up. And we always end our show with recommendations based on the, on the movie of the week. And as always, we start with what else you've been watching. But this week, guys, we've got a slight difference to the show. So normally it's me and Sam talking about movies, but Sam has had the audacity to go off and have a kid. And so he's disappearing from the show for a month. So I've roped in guest hosts, who are essentially old friends who couldn't say no to me or owe me a favour. <laughs> um, and so my first guest host is, is the delightful Anna. Hello. Um, and I'll hand you over to her briefly to introduce herself and where she wants to plug all her stuff. So Anna. Tell a little about yourselves. Oh gosh, okay, my name is Anna, hello, very nice to sort of meet you in this audio space that we're in. Um, I'm thief-free online, uh, pretty much everywhere, and I live in Cardiff. That's me, I don't really have any books or whatever to shill, I just, I'm just sort of here. <laughs> you're, just, you're just there, it's yeah. all on Twitter. She's, <laughs> like, she's like mildly Twitter popular no, famous. No, 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 I'm, I'm extremely on Twitter, I think that's the best that can be said for me. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Yeah. So, as always, we try to start the show with other things we've been watching, just to talk about other stuff that doesn't uh, cover the movie of the week. So, mm-hmm. so Anna, what else have you been watching recently that you want to kind of briefly plug? Uh, along with the rest of the world, I saw Thor Ragnarok, and along with most of the rest it. of the world, I really liked it, you've got to see it, Rob. It's... I have a baby, when do I, I see things? <laughs> that's very true, that's very true. This is the whole podcast is just going to be you saying well from what i recall <laughs> yes i seem to recall these things called movies movie a film happens in a dark room <laughs> it does it does and in the case of thor ragnarok it's thoroughly enjoyed by most um yeah very funny a proper comedy super into it Brilliant. i've been a fan of of uh, and his movies yes. for a while yeah, uh, and like he was such a bizarre choice to direct it, but I'm glad it came off. Oh, completely! And I loved what we do in the shadows so much, and I wish I'd thought to follow it up so that I could claim to have been into him first. I super missed <laughs> that boat. Um, but having read loads of interviews with him, having seen you know the the care that he puts into his work, I've got a lot of respect for the guy. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, I was introduced to him in my time in New Zealand way, way back. Sure, I can imagine. Um, so I, I can claim to be a Taika Waititi OG. <laughs> Total hipster. Um, although back then he was just another director who we knew. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he's. Uh, I'm glad to see him getting that kind of work. It's always nice when the Marvel bring in someone a bit more visionary, a bit more different mm. to uh, rather than just churn out the other films. It's a completely so, different sense of humour. I really enjoyed it. It's much good. more in line with British sensibilities, I think, because of the self-deprecating side to it. A lot of the New Zealand Kiwi kind of humour is very similar in that respect. Yeah. That I found. I've, this week I've watched a very odd film called The Bad Batch. Mm. I don't know if anyone's really heard of it. It's on um, Netflix, is where I caught up with it. Um, it's from Anna Lily Amipur, who some people might know um, as director of The Girl Works Home at Night um, and a few sort of odd films that she's done over the years. It's very weird. It's kind of set in a bizarre modern day in which parts of Texas are a sort of a no-man's-land prison. Jason Momoa stars as, like, a father who's also a cannibal. Suki Waterhouse stars as the girl who's put there and, in, like, the first five minutes, loses an arm and a leg to cannibals. It stars Keanu Reeves as some sort of cult leader. It's got Jim Carrey in as, like, a hermit living in the hills. It's an incredibly weird film. Um, but visually, it's very stunning. It's really not for anybody. Like the, the plot is kind of all over the place. It's very kind of loose in that respect. Hmm. But it has a it, the director does a great work invoking mood and a great work in kind of giving these visual images you stick with. Um, but it is it's a weird film. 
you've got to go into expecting weirdness and being ready for, for some strange odd films. Um, but I was a big fan of it, I must say. I do like the sound of that. I quite enjoy being wrong-footed by a film like that. And like it's... you say, the images that really stay with you, that's something that... Uh, well, that's what you take away from a film in the end, isn't it? Sometimes the story, well, sometimes the tone, but mostly there are just some pictures that really resonate. Well, as any long-time listener of the podcast know, will know that I have a, have a standing rule that a film needs to justify being a film. Why is this a film rather than an audio play or mm. a book? Um, you know, like the best artwork, I think, resonates with its medium. Um, and it uses that. I mean, things can cross medium, but some of the best books are ones that could only be a book. Um, and some of the best films and some of the best plays, even some of the best songs, could only work in that form. I think that brings some power to things. Yeah, okay, I see that. Um, so this guys, this week, guys, we are looking at our Spielberg month, um, yeah. and we're having different guest hosts each week. So Anna um, has picked the uh, 1991 film Hook. Yeah, yeah, I have, because <laughs> I'm a giant child. <laughs> Right, okay, so um, it is in a sense a sequel to Peter Pan, the novel by J.M. Barry. Um, it follows the adventures of Peter Banning, a lawyer who has suddenly found that his children have been kidnapped by Captain Hook and that he is in fact Pan of the books. So he has to try and retrieve them and live up to his former self in the process. It's a very sort of, uh, it's a family themed movie and, and good Christmas viewing. So how how is it watching it now as an adult? Is it a, a one of those child films that carries its magic into adulthood, or does it, does it lose something as as you age? So when I first saw the film, I would have been older than Maggie, but younger than Jack. So I guess around six, maybe seven. Fair enough. And um, I uh, I expected to come to it now as an adult and think, okay, it's sort of fun dross for kids with no real substance. I found completely the reverse to be true. I found that it was really thematically consistent. It was really clever with the way it reinforced a lot of the themes. I mean, it, you know, it, it's going to be a little heavy-handed. It is a children's movie and it is a Christmas movie and it is like extremely mainstream blockbuster type thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just thought it was really cleverly done, really magical still, and I've got a lot of affection for it. But I also think it's a good film. Yeah, because I was I was nine when it came out, eight or nine, mm. um, and I saw it in the cinema. Um, with and one of the aliens, and I, I have distinct memories of being in primary school and playing with the toys, mm. um, the figurines that came with this movie. And I, I was mildly obsessed with it. As, there were toys. A, yeah, oh yeah. Like I, I had um, all the Lost Boys, <gasps> were, were little, little figurines. Oh my god! Um, and I, I remember. I mean, I, I remember sitting there and playing with with like a thud butt. Thud butt was like yeah. you could roll them up. Um, oh, and I, so I, I remember. I remember, I remember sitting outside my primary school playing with these. And once again, I have great memories of it. Mm. And I had, I, I'm sure I've watched it in the 20-odd years since it came out, 26 years. Um, but it was, I went back to a bit of trepidation thinking, 
is this is is it going to be as enjoyable experience as I remember it being? Mm. And I'm with you. It really was. I know that Spielberg has gone record of, of not being a big fan of the film, which really I'm cross a, about. <laughs> I, I, agree, I agree. It doesn't sit well in his bit more sort of serious filmography he's done in his later years. Mm. But I really it was fun. I thought every it was it was that right kind of silly and fun, but also I think when you get a good film, good, good kids film, it's got to be a bit scary. Yeah, completely. Like, like, overly saccharine kids films just kind of like you forget them. You know, Home Alone, another great kids film. Good film. It features two like burglars who are trying to kill him. Oh sure. Like, the, a, a good the, like the Goonies. You know, th- these are films that are kids films, but also have an element of scariness. And Hook is scary. The oh, Boo Box. Oh yeah. Like, I'm a, I remember as a kid that genuinely haunting me. The idea of being trapped in a box with, with all scorpions. scorpions, yeah. And, and um, uh, also uh, the moment where they return home and Liza is there in, in Granny Wendy's house saying the children were screaming, the children were screaming. That sent mm. chills down me. I mean, as a kid, I found that scary. As a parent, I can't imagine. I mean, it, it, it was... I mean, that's, that's the thing from my point of view. I'm now, now at kids, and it's a sort of a strange change in my view of things. But mm. I, I think that's why it works. But also, I mean... As a nine-year-old, I wanted nothing more than to live the life of a lost boy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, I mean, Rufio will come on to my teenage, I mean, my pre-teen and teenage years, adoring Rufio. I, I put a lot of my blame oh, yeah. of my punk uh, teenage years <laughs> and 20s down to Rufio and his haircut. Um, my first real Dante man Dante Basco, of course, went on to play Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's, uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think it can get a bad rep, but I think it's, it's truly a brilliant film mm. and I think in many ways and if we kind of look at some more of the sort of theory side of it the often trying to do I think it perfectly encapsulates the feeling of childhood mm. in a certain way I think the, the feeling the lost boy event the sort of the extended montage of Peter Pan um becoming Pan becoming Pan again that's it it's about yeah. it's about refinding childhood and that kind of childlike wonder that we had of being able to imagine food and and it says, in that case, it's fly, but I think the flying here is a metaphor of kind of, I know, just feeling like the world's yours and feeling like you can do anything. Sort of exuberant joy, the ebullience of childhood when flying seems like a thing you might be able to do if you just go for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, a lot of these things come from the original book, but the idea that flying comes from your happiest memory, thinking happy thoughts. Actually, interestingly, and- that's not in the book. Um, as far as I can recall, the book solely relies on fairy dust as an aid to flight. The whole happy thought thing um, is, as far as I can recall, an original creation. Because mm. I think it's, it's worth noting that in this, in the film, at the start, Peter Banning lives a life that he isn't happy in. No. The, the, like he's stressed, he's fighting with his wife, he's fighting with Brad on the phone. There's real, like, it isn't like you're taking a man who's grown up to be a happy singing all dancing man oh my gosh starts off sad can i talk a bit about how they established that character because again this is stuff that i didn't pick up on as a child but going back as an adult the scenes in the office before he even leaves before he even gets on the plane to go to england tell you everything you need to know about peter banning someone else hands him the speech for granny wendy he Mm. um has a competition with his rivals to see who can answer their phone the quickest he's that hooked to his phone and that's a recurring um motif that we see throughout the film um and he's afraid of flying. That comes up as well. So they do a great job of establishing him as an adult, a busy, important professional who doesn't have enough time to do emotional stuff himself. He leaves that to other people, to the people around him. And I think it also it's, it's part of the thing that I notice is that he doesn't, he doesn't register that the things he's doing are bad. Mm. 
The, the, the scene in which his son Jack's playing baseball, and he sends a intern to go and film it. Yeah. And in, uh, you look at that and you think that's that's worse than just not going. Or him taking like, the call during um, oh gosh, what's the Maggie's play? Yes, it's just like you you understand how out of touch you are with being a kid, and. Mm. I think, I mean, it, to, to get sort of a bit deeper, I think it's interesting that if you t- look at him as the progression of Peter Pan, Peter Pan never had adults, never had parents, mm. um, so he hasn't got a role model for a parent. Yes. All he's got is Wendy. Um, and obviously, Wendy in this is, is the kindly old lady, Maggie Smith, doing brilliant work. Mm. Um, but he never had a parent, so I'm interested, I think it's an interesting idea that you've got this, this kid without parents who yeah. grows up and has no idea how to parent. There's that. There's certainly the fact that he doesn't have a role model for a parent, but also he doesn't have a role model for a childhood. He cannot recall his own. No. So he's not only missed out on his own childhood, he has no idea what it's supposed to look like or feel like, and he keeps telling Jack to grow up. And I think that, 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 that's a very interesting you know, knowing shot line from the um, from Jackie. It's like, mm. I am a child. Yeah, yeah, completely. And Love he has that. no he has no concept of that, and it's just... The film does that great work. You, you don't dislike Peter Banning because mm. um, you, you you go into it knowing that he's Peter Pan, really, don't you? But at the same time, you don't like him. You can see like, where yeah. he's. It's kind of. It's almost it's like, it's like feels like a Greek tragedy a little bit. That you're just watching it happen. You're like, oh man, come on, you know. And when he, when he's he goes over to London, you think maybe there's some hope here. And then there's a whole scene when the, the deal falls apart in front of Brad, and he snaps at his kids, and he's just like, it, like he, it's not yeah. cringe in that kind of office human way. It's just kind of like, oh man, come on. Yeah, as a child, I saw that as a bad dad. As an adult, I see that as a very unhappy man. And I think both ways, it's extremely resonant. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that, if you want to look at the overall three line of the film, it's very much about that idea to recapture, to, to, to be a whole person. Mm. You have to incl- you have to be a child and an adult. You have to be able to understand that whole process. Yeah. Um, to, to, to have a full adulthood, you've got to be a child first. And at his heart, it is about the family relationships that he's failed to build over mm-hmm. the years. And um, reinforcing those is everything to this movie, which is which is one of the reasons I think it's such great Christmas viewing. The, the snow is sort of just set dressing, really, but that's what makes it sort of festive. It gives you the, your heart the warm glowies. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that every, every December I, I take a an unwise stand, shall we say, against Die Hard as a Christian <laughs> film. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think one, one of the sort of the rules I have for Christian films is this kind of heartwarming, someone learns a lesson kind of thing. Yeah. The idea, the importance of family is a big through line in a lot of Christian films. Mm. I think you're right. And I must say, I'd never considered Hook as a Christmas film when you said it. But yeah. now I think about it, it is entirely a Christmas film. Oh, completely. Like it, as you say, aside from the sort of the set dressings and and the production design of it being at Christmas, it has that same kind of feel. And the feeling of when he comes home and he's outside, it has that same kind of feeling as Home Alone when Christmas morning arrives. Yeah. It's that kind of brand new day, fresh start, anything can happen kind of feeling. And the music really underlines that. I adore mm. the music in this film. Right from the opening scene, which is set at Maggie's play, it's a light piano version of the theme that comes back later in the film, which says a mm. lot. I mean, in hindsight, it says a lot about how the story is the same, regardless of what budget you've got. You know, the fact that you have a personal connection to this material, that the same music that they have on this little stage in this school, presumably, can come back and be so just 
light and magical and i think it does have the sort of light bells in the background that, that underline the christmas stuff as well mm. so i'm a huge fan of, of the music i should have looked it up actually who who wrote the score for this because it's it's really stayed with me yeah it, it, it kind of invokes all of that a kind of that feeling of uh, and almost like the idea i think with peter pan and these kind of stories they i'm almost moving to the idea of myth really oh yeah it, it, uh, and this obviously is trying to invoke that the score was john williams so it's unsurprising that it's great. yeah that makes um, sense. <laughs> but it's you know, the, this is like you go into this you know who tinkerbell is you know who um Captain Hook is yeah th- these are mythical characters legendary characters what do you um, think about this this version of tink i'd be interested to hear your take on that well i've got no no, no I've got a very interesting side note on this. That I I was never very keen on Tink, um, w- watching it as a kid. Um, obviously, there's a whole she's in love with Peter, that kind of thing. But the, it's maybe mm. a smaller side, maybe an Easter egg that I've misreading. But when Pan arrives in in Neverland the first time, and after the big competition with Hook, Hook and Smee are talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Smee's like, we know it's the right one. I've got all this information, and he pulls up. He says, "This is a signed affidavit from T Bell." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that Tinkerbell? Did Tinkerbell turn on Peter? I had Did... not considered that until you mentioned it. Yeah. And I was just, and I, 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 until I, I thought, I just thought, I don't know whether it's just like a, like a little throwaway comment, but I'm like, are they saying that she signed saying this is Peter, and gave it to Smee? I don't know. I mean, Tinkerbell as a character, it, it, it was felt like they were trying to do a a romance thing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, um, I got opinions, I, man. <laughs> I got opinions yes. about that. Um, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't not overly keen. But I'm not a big fan of Julia Roberts as an actress at the best of times. Um, so I don't yeah. think I can come to it good with good intentions. What about you? I think Julia Roberts did an okay job. I think the part was miswritten. Um, the romance is totally tacked on and not true to the spirit of the book. Tink has always been capricious, only able to feel one emotion at a time. Um, she's uh, jealous of the attention that Wendy gets. She has always been possessive of Peter um, mm. and so loyal to him. But it has never been a romantic love. And in fact, I feel that was a little crowbarred in. And while we're talking about crowbarred in romantic scenes, what the heck was with those mermaids? Yeah. I tweeted about it. It's like, this is, this felt really kind of adult and sexual. Neverland is not supposed to contain that element. That's why it's childhood. Yeah. And it just, it just felt like this felt strange and indulgent. Um, if I mean, visually, it felt like a throwback to some. Um, early Hugh Gray kind of movies and George Millay, um, George, George, um, George Millay's kind of movies from the sort of twenties and thirties. It felt like visually like that, but it just felt like this felt like a weird, a weird insertion. It's and a it just weird felt time. like yeah, yeah. It's like the, you could easily had him saved by Tinkerbell or the Lost Boys or anything like that. Yeah, and without including the mermaids, the... could well have saved him. There were mermaids in the lagoon in the original book. They were fond of Peter, despite generally being mean, nasty, and dangerous to anyone else. Mm. Um, but I just don't see it taking that form. And yes, you can go on about all oh, the transfer of oxygen. That's nonsense. People just wanted everyone yeah. to love Peter Pan, even though it doesn't it just fit felt and I don't like indulgent. it. Indulgent. Yeah, yeah. Um, You'll see and, a lot of that in media from the 90s, though. I mean. Yes, yes. It, 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 I will say, having done this podcast, <laughs> having done this podcast for coming on sort of three years now, yeah. like, you, you do notice like these trends of how, I mean, it, it, often it's how films treat women. 
mm. um, more than anything else. But mm-hmm. you do have these like oh, it's just it just felt out of place. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but I mean, but that that's I think where this film I think can work because it sits on that knife edge. You know, you've got like spoilers, guys. Rufio dies. Oh no! Um, like that's a really grown up dark thing to deal with as a kids film that the coolest kid you meet and he's far cooler than Peter Pan <laughs> dies he gets stabbed to death by the villain but remember not before giving Peter his respect and saying I wish I had a father like you yeah like it's, it's but it just feels like like this film by sitting on that knife edge of being adult enough to do with things but childlike mm, mm. Um, but it draws that false equivalency that adult is sexual yes um, in the same way that I think the DC movies today presumes that serious means dark. Hmm. And I, I think that it, it's, it's a false link, it isn't true. And in a kid's film, you can deal with dark topics to deal with death and loss and loneliness and things like the Goonies and Lost Boys, Future. You can deal with these kind of movies. I mean, Stranger Things currently is out on Netflix. And that deals with some dark issues around childhood. But it isn't that kind of here's a titillation scene of, of women not wearing a lot. It's not, that's, that's not what dark childhood films cover. While we're talking about the dark side of the film, I would really love it if we could talk about Hook. He's such sure. a great character. Let's talk about Hook forever. Well, I've got, before, before we go any further, do you know um, the the unspoken decision made by Hook and Smee as how they play the relationship? I do now. I only found out in the past few months. So, for those who don't know, the decision was made by Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins to play Hook and Smee as a couple. And aren't they just? And like looking back, like, it's exactly what you see it as now. Like that, they obviously there's the the captain and, and the bosun kind of relationship between the two of them, but they are very much a couple. Mm. They know each other. I mean, particularly Smee, who clearly knows Hook very well. Mm. But it's like I never saw it as a kid, and you don't. But watching about now, I'm like. Oh, yes, very clearly they're a couple. I think there was an understanding of it as a relationship unlike any other they had. Again, I don't think there was any romantic or sexual connotations to it because that wasn't written in. They're just understood Mm. as an item. And they know each other well and they play off each other brilliantly. So, yeah, I'm glad they made that decision and I think it came through excellently. And I think there's... I mean, it's interesting that Hook, at this point, is... Like, he's bored. Mm. Like all of this is coming because he's bored. He despises the... his pirates. He thinks they're in imbeciles. Yeah, he's killed the the, the um, crocodile that haunted him. Mm-hmm. He's just bored, and the, the whole movie starts. Like, like I say, Peter Pan's been gone for years, so it isn't like a he's got away from me. I'll chase him down. You clearly just feel he's like, I'm just bored of my life now, and he's trying to spice it up, and he's trying to do something with his life. And I think that's a very interesting take on the Hook character. Mm. Um, in, in a character that previously, especially in the Disney Disney versions, is a like a one note character. He's just a sort of screeching bad guy <laughs> who hates kids, um, and it's just very interesting. And I say the idea that I like the idea that I mean, it's Smee's idea, but Hook runs with it of the kind of the psychological warfare of the kids. Yeah, and they they have done quite a good job of picking up on the character motivations from the book as well, of him kidnapping Wendy, him essentially wanting a mother figure, which Peter Mm. had, because that's kind of what Wendy was to the Lost Boys. She was the maternal figure. She was the only girl. And uh, it's just... This is is where um, sort of things like fan fiction um, and that kind of uh, sort of whole creative outlet of the fandoms... I do enjoy some of it, and it's this idea of where you take a character, you kind of give it depth. 
you give it somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hook, in generally, I like the fact that it takes these what could be one note characters and these kind of, I say, very mythical characters that kind of do a, a set of, a rote set of actions and give them a bit of something to make them more interesting. Mm. That and I think Dustin Hoffman's just brilliant. He's, he's oh, that right kind of. He's kind of that. It's somehow circus esque um, character. He's Love it. a high camp, pure villain with magnificent hair and a twirly moustache and a hook for a hand. I mean, what's not to love about that? So, to wrap it up, and I think it's best we always end with our recommendations uh, for, for, for what, we, what we call further reading, but essentially being the, the movies that we are inspired by to watch or sort of related to this film yeah so I've, I've got two this week um sam and i always have two our guest hosts i'm happy with just one because we are putting you on the spot a little bit so my first recommendation is a film from only a year later and that's the 1992 film toys i was gonna suggest that no kidding uh, now, i had two lined up and that was gonna be one of them well there we go part of the fun of people who steal yours during this <laughs> go um for it. initially obviously Headline character Robin Williams is is the main star in both, but I also think it kind of captures that extended childhood yes. discovering what it's like to be a child in an adult body, mm-hmm. um, and sort of merging those two ideas together. It is one of those films like it kind of doesn't get a lot of love really, and I think that's a shame. Um, it's a really kind of heartfelt and beautiful film um, with some properly scary bad guys mm. um, for what is a kind of kind of kids film. Mm-hmm. My second recommendation is, uh, I mentioned this earlier, I had a huge man crush on Rufio um, <laughs> from, from, from Hook. Um, and Dante Basco, who played Rufio, hasn't gone on to do amazing things in live action. Um, but he is a, a sort of sporting character, a bit part, in a film I do love that, once again, doesn't get a lot, a lot of love. I think it deserves it. And that's the 1999 film, But I'm a Cheerleader. Oh, he was in that. Um, as I recall, he plays one of the boyfriends or brothers, I can't remember which one, of, of the sort of the girls. Essentially, those who haven't seen it, it is about a um, teenage girl who is sent off to um, sexuality realignment camp, shall we say. Um, well, because her parents think she's a lesbian. Mm. And the one of the very, not very early, but one of the first sort of big breakout pro-LGBT... Um, movies from the 90s without a movie like this you probably wouldn't have things like Orange is the New Black um, the L word of it in a similar sort of time but it's funny, it's heartfelt and f- for me as at that point a 17 year old boy for whom lesbians were one thing and one, on- one thing only it really opened my eyes to I don't know the humanity of it and, and all of that as, as, as often as teenage boys are but I really loved it. It's really stuck with me as, as a film that really sort of changed my mind and my view on, on a lot of things. So, yeah, that was my two. Yeah. Toys yeah. and Butter Machilida. What about you, Anna? Do you have something for us? Right. So it's only just now that I've realised that this is an entire oeuvre that Robin Williams had. Is He had toys in which he was an adult with a child's mind, pretty much, because never had to face any consequences, never had to take on any responsibility. He was a very sort of juvenile character. There's mm. Peter Pan, where he has to rediscover his childlikeness. Definitely a factor. And I want to also recommend Jumanji, in which he, as a child, gets sucked into a board game, lives in the jungle for 20 years, and comes back as a man with very little experience of the adult world. 
So it's it's a it's a classic. It is a classic. It's also a Christmas film in that a lot of the action is set around Christmas, and it um, reaffirms not just the bonds of family, but the bonds of found family as well. In fact, found family over genetic family, which is mm-hmm. a lovely theme. Um, and it captures that sense of magic, that sense of anything is possible in a way that I really enjoy and is exactly what I'm looking for around this season as the nights draw in. That's that's what I want, a bit of a bit of fun, a bit of magic, and, uh, yeah, Robin Williams, <laughs> apparently. So, what, while we're talking to you, what are your views on, on, the, on the sequel slash remake that is coming soon? Uh, trepidatious, I think would be the word. I... I think they've cast it well but from the sounds of things it all takes place in the jungle which is not what that's about maybe they can do it well maybe they can do it well you know many franchises from that era have been rebooted successfully recently i'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt uh, but it doesn't sound on paper like it should work basically my exact view as you say the cast are people i'm like you know what everyone in this cast makes me Give it a bit of a, a yeah, leeway. Yeah, I mean Karen Gillan and The Rock. Come on, <laughs> I, I, you know. I, I'm like, but at the same time, I'm, I'm like, I love the idea of, of the strange entering the mundane that the, the first film brought. Yeah, and the, 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 the clash of this kind of fantastical, like almost like Neverland-like world crashing headlong into what clearly was Rust Belt America, um, and sort of the kind of that kind of thing, putting it all in the jungle makes it a funny action film. But, but it isn't the same thing. But on the other hand, I imagine there's probably a lot there that we don't yet know about. I mean, just look at Zathura. Mm. You know, that's the one where... It's, was that technically a sequel to Jumanji? I think it was. A spiritual sequel. I, there's no defect to sit in links. Was there not? But, uh, oh, okay. As far as I'm aware, it, it was set in the same kind of world, the same kind of people behind it. But it is one of those things where there isn't an exact link between the two. One of Kristen Stewart's actual good roles in which she gets mm. to emote. Um, but yeah... Uh, Zathura, if you don't know about it, is a, a, another board game situation, except it's space themed and it does mm. spacey things instead of jungly things to yes. the lives of some children. Quite fun, um, yeah. pretty good. Well, guys, I want to put a big thanks out to Anna for um, stepping up and helping us with our guest. Anna, before you go, is there anything you want to plug um, on the show? Genuinely not. I just had a blast, to be honest. Thank you Brilliant. so much for having me. It's, you, you, well, next time Sam has a kid, you're welcome back. <laughs> All right, Sam, you are missed. You are missed. <laughs> Till then, guys, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Kaiju. You can find me on Twitter at Thiefree. And you can find, for at least this week, both of us on Twitter at Petty Podcast. And we'll be back next week. I'll, I'll be back with another guest host next week doing another Spielberg film. See you then. Bye. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.